Hello everyone and welcome back to Positive Parenting. I am your host, Hananya Abraham. This is episode 3. We are still in the middle and hopefully we're going to finish the introduction today. I uh, wanted to thank the person for calling me out for the bad pronunciation. And at the top of the last paragraph that we were just doing, there is a word transitory, something that would not last long. So I'll just read over that last sentence and we'll continue from there. While there are indeed symptoms that are transitory and disappear spontaneously, there are others that are more permanent. And with someone who has and having a consolation with someone who has the expertise to extinguish, the two is necessary, or like I said last time, vital. Because knowing how to go about certain things sometimes does require speaking to someone that has more expertise. So, continuing right along over here. Some parents may consult a psychologist and withhold essential information, which I've seen, unfortunately, too many times. And I could see that being something that is so detrimental to the treatment and a waste of so many people's time and aggravation, and let alone, forget about the money, but there are so many things that come into play of just, you know, leaving things out, which is why I think whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, you're a therapist listening to this, at the end of an intake, to always ask the question of, well, there's more information that you didn't ask about that I think is important for me to tell you. Or if you're a therapist, to say, is there anything that I haven't asked about today that you feel is important for me to know? And those things that you think might be important, i.e., if you're over 18 or if you're with your parent in the room, speak to them. And if you're thinking about certain things that, I don't know, maybe I should say this, just say it. There's no such thing as too much information to get to give over. So if you hold back information either about the child's behavior, situations in the home, or a family history of emotional problems, this is something that I, like I said, I see it so often and I, I, I highly, highly recommend to make sure that you never do that. Parents sometimes withhold important information about the child's learning problems or behavior from the school, hoping that these will not surface or will not be detected. The same holds true when parents consult with a rabbi for help and do not volunteer what they consider to be stigmatizing data. Now, I would put that in parentheses, but in the book here, here, they don't. But sometimes they hold back information because it won't look good. The rabbi may proceed on the basis of what he was told, not having been able to elicit important data from reluctant clients. Consequently, rabbis have been given advice, are giving advice, which they thought to be correct, sometimes collaborating with a family's concealment, especially when there's a concern that exposure would be a a public disgrace. Unfortunately, even the recent failure of presidents to succeed in cover-ups, I think, again, remember, this is, this is uh, written, like we said, uh, what was it? This was written in year two, in 19... Well, the last edition, it was 1999, so 1996 is when this is taking place. So we know cover-ups going back all the way to, to Nixon is not something that presidents are that are that uh, good at in that sense. But uh, going back over here to how this, this applies to us. Unfortunately, even the recent failure of presidents to succeed in cover-ups has not convinced people that concealment is actually futile. The reason for emphasizing the lack of broad-based knowledge in the training of some rabbis to counsel effectively in problems of social, cultural, natural nature is because Torah-observant or religious families confronted with situations that can impact on child 
parent relationships or in need of competent guidance to establish a healthy family environment, i.e. sometimes a professional like a doctor or a, or a psychologist or, or a therapist, may turn to a rabbi as they should as a Torah authority. If the rabbi is an accomplished Torah, Torah scholar yet has not been adequately prepared or trained to deal with problems of this kind, he may not have the proper vehicle whereby to transmit his Torah knowledge to people in need of it in a matter whereby they can apply it to themselves. I think this applies to any clergyman. If they're not given full information for the actual case that they're dealing with, how are they supposed to give over their quote-unquote learned Talmudic biblical advice? And this applies more than, than just rabbis. This applies to any form of, of, of clergy. It is axiomatic that although in the, our, our book of laws, the Shulchan Aruch, has four sections, a Torah authority must have a fifth section, which consists of an understanding of the realities of the lives of his congregants. No rabbi is permitted to deliver decisions, halach decisions, Torah authority decisions, on the basis of just book learning alone, and he has to go shimush, or what's called apprenticeship, with a halachic authority, pretty much like a PhD candidate has to go through training and has to write a, has to write a dissertation, but they have to go through a law, uh, the rabbis have to go through a halachic authority to observe how these halachic principles are put into practice. So it's pretty much like, like an internship in a certain way. Given the role of the contemporary rabbi as a counselor and possibly even therapist, as well as a posik or someone that answers questions regarding the Torah, he must often delve into chapters of the quote-unquote fifth section that may not be easily available. This book is therefore intended not only to enlighten the reader to psychological Torah-esque approaches to parenting, but also to alert the spokespeople of halacha that there is a need for them to become more effective transmitters of the Torah wisdom to their flock. Honestly, this has been a really long time since I've read this book. Probably, I think I said last time, but for sure over 15 years. So this is something that I'm looking forward to go through because I feel like sometimes as a therapist, I forget about the Torah authority that I live up to, that I try to adhere to myself. So having a guidance for that and how to go about certain things, I think is very important, and I'm looking forward to it. So, to finish up over here, the introduction. Psychological Torah approach? Is there such an entity? Is not much of psychology in, con- in contradiction to vital Torah principles? We will discuss this question in an ensuing chapter. We will indeed derive much valuable guidance from the Torah literature, but we need our Torah scholars to help us fetch from this, from this internal well. Most of the books on parenting are how-to books, and while they have merit, their application is rather, is rather limited. One cannot possibly remember all the specific instructions, and certainly one cannot run into the books to look up whether to do, what to do when the four-year-old has just stuck his finger into the baby's eye, or the six-year-old has spilled milk on the table after, after repeatedly being told to be careful. What is needed is an understanding of principles of parenting, and parents have to use their own ingenuity to apply these principles in specific instances. And I think what it comes down to, and I talk about this a lot in my practice, is what we call awareness and knowing the situation and knowing how to deal with that situation. And sometimes not saying anything is the best possible thing you can do. Parenting, continues Dr. Torsky, is a weighty responsibility, perhaps the most important task in one's entire lifetime. Yet most people approach this awesome responsibility with the assumption that all parents intuitively know how to raise their children and do not require any special 
preparation or knowledge. I happen to disagree with that. I don't think most parents actually know what to do, including myself. As a parent of, of, of a few children, I think we go through countless situations where, um, what do I do now? Hopefully there is no parent that says, oh, I got this. Because I think there is something to be said about the parent that is learning on the job. And sometimes it could even be important, which we'll maybe get to a little bit later, a child seeing that, that parents mess up, they make mistakes, but they also acknowledge it, they admit it, and they take responsibility for their actions. And that could be very, very, very important in child rearing. Some people operate according to the myth that you either have it or you don't. One is either a natural-born parent who does not need any education in parenting or does not have the capacity to, uh, for healthy, healthy parenting, in which case education will be of no use. These are completely, completely false. And there is no such thing as a parent that got it, so to speak. But if you think about it, the most valuable thing that we have in our lives, our children, is the one thing in the entire world that does not come with a manual. Interesting how that works. I think the re- that what it comes down to it is that for the most part, there really is no manual that could be used. It's important for, their, for parents to, quote-unquote, wing it in a certain way, to be present, to be knowledgeable, to be of, of sane mind when making certain decisions or when to, when to give out certain punishments in the right situation. But there is no set way of going about things. There's also the myth, continues Dr. Torsky, that if you can do it with one child, you can do it with all children. That I agree with, that that's a real fallacy, because... I have a few different children, and they are all different from each other. And the way we deal with them is all different, one, one from, the, from the next. And it's important as a parent to know how to deal with each child individually. This is a stark defiance with the reality that children can be very different, and what works with one will not work with another. In some families, people marry very, very young and have children when they are still emotionally immature, without having any preparation for parenting. Again, we cannot have recourse of practices to practices of the past because, as pointed out above, the challenges and stresses or stressors of modern-day parenting are both qualitatively and quantitatively greater than those confronting previous generations. Things today are very different. I do believe that you know the world that we have today with electronics and kids having a certain way of thinking and us as parents being a certain type of insecure parents as opposed to parents of previous generations, that has a lot to do with how our parenting goes about. In earlier times, if the child was brought up to a great degree by the community rather than the solely of the parents, this was essentially a positive influence because the community was a very big part of who they were. This street may not have been perfect, but a sense of decency and morality generally prevailed. There was a general consensus on values in the community, the neighborhood, the extended family, and the nuclear family who, if for all intents and purposes, spoke with one voice. The parents' efforts at guidance were reinforced by the environment. I'm lucky where I live that I have that opportunity still, where the people around us have the same point of view and the same way of wanting to bring up kids. And I think it's important to have that because it makes such a big difference in what your kids are going to see and what they, what, what they would question. Not that questions are a bad thing, but knowing how and when to go about certain things can really help when you have a community, when you live around people that, that had to view things the same as you. But, says Dr. Torsky, this has cha- all changed radically. The street today is toxic, and parents face the challenge of combating their environmental with environmental influences. 
parenting, and he says this in, in italics here, parenting can no longer be viewed as a supplementary task, but is a full-time job. And is a very taxing one at that. In the past, parental tasks could be seen as planting, cultivating, or watering the young shoots, whereas today, parents have a major weeding job. A weeding job. Which makes perfect sense that... He's, he's, it's not just about planting, but it's about making sure that the plant gets constantly growing. I love his example here. Modern life may have been made easier in the sense of our having many technological conveniences, but our prime responsibility, that of raising children, has been made much, much more difficult. We should be aware that raising a child is work, hard work, creative rather than routine work, requiring considerate thought and deliberation. As parents, we are entrusted with caring for both the physical and emotional development of our children. No parent would take a child in need of health care to someone who has no medical training. Yet few parents realize that, that they themselves may lack the skills to be optimal parents. While it is true that we often learn by mistakes, it is tragic when these mistakes are wrought in our children because these mistakes are not easily, if at all, undone. And there is a lot of trauma that is dealt with because parents did not know what to do or how to deal with certain things. Now, this is not in contrast to what I was saying before regarding kids unknowing and understanding that, hey, my parents made a mistake in something, but overall, the way we go about certain things is is it's important to know what to do and how to do it. For example, a distraught mother, says Dr. Torsky, may scream at her children, I can't take this anymore. If you keep this up, mom is going to go away and never come back. Some children are insecure and already have a fear of abandonment, and this only serves to reinforce it. Such mistakes are avoidable, and it is the parent's responsibility to prevent any mistakes as to prevent as many mistakes as possible. I think taking responsibility for who we are and what our job is is very, very important. There is a fascinating phenomenon which is rather difficult to understand, and that is the generational perpetuation of negative behavior. Children who suffered abuse and who harbor bitter resentments about how they have been mistreated would seem to be the last to behave similarly to their children. Logic dictates that having experienced such, such suffering, they would not want to inflict it on their children. But as with so many emotional issues, logic does not always prevail. And when children grow up and become parents, they may repeat the mistakes in parenting that they had experienced. Hence, it is not sufficient for people to recognize that they were victims of inadequate parenting to simply being determined not to repeat the mistakes that were done to them. Something more is necessary to avoid such generational perpetuation of mistakes. Hopefully, we can provide some guidance and to avoid these apparent self-perpetuating pattern. The last paragraph here in the introduction. There is no microwave to hasten development of parenting skills. It is a long and often tedious course, which starts even before the mother becomes pregnant and continues well into adulthood. And yes, nowadays there are different categories of what people are in developmentally, and there's a new one before adulthood of like young budding adult for people that are between the ages of like 20 and 24, 25. But even as, as 30, 40 year olds, there still is a concept of being a parent at that point. And it requires a great deal of patience. This book is not intended to replace the authoritative books on parenting, but rather to complement them. It is not intended to shorten the process of becoming a better parent, but there's no such thing as a shortcut when it comes to being a better parent. Those are my own words. But rather to increase the awareness of what constitutes better parenting and to facilitate the execution of this weighty responsibility. Now, he doesn't say it over here, but I know 
Dr. Torsky said it many times that the, it's one of the greatest enjoyments you can have when you're when you see the nachas and you see the good things happen to your child. Well, that is the end of the introduction. And he's going to start up perfectly in section one of approaching the task of what is the goal. And we are going to continue on page 21, the next recording. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, or anything you want to share, please reach out to me at koshercounseling at gmail.com.